You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Last Sunday, if you guys were here, you'll remember that we, as we went through the first five verses of Malachi, uh, we were reminded that, that God loves his people faithfully and unconditionally, even in the midst of their doubt, in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their apathy uh, towards God. He still loved them and he still loves them. Um, but not only were we reminded of his love for them and, and therefore his love for us, But God also proclaimed through his prophet Malachi what our expected and natural response should be when we experience and when we witness his love. And that's worship. Worship. Malachi 1 verse 5. This is God speaking through Malachi. He says to them, Your own eyes shall see this love, so see my love, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. So the only natural, acceptable, and possible response to witnessing and receiving God's love is to worship and honor God. And we see that attitude displayed to, to us throughout the Bible when people experience God's love. They, they, they return to him and humbly kneel before him and worship him. Uh, we see that throughout the Psalms, especially we see that in Acts. We see it in the early church and, the, and the, how the apostles worship. But we especially see that in, in Revelations 4.11, when, when the 24 elders, they, they come into the presence uh, of God, of Jesus, and, 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 they, and they throw themselves down and they throw their earthly crowns off their head and they exclaim, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So when we see, when we know the love of God, that should be our response. That should be our attitude when we come before the Lord. Pure, unadulterated, and affectionate worship. And before Jesus made a better way and and a more secure way of entering into God's presence so that we could worship him, God's people back then in the the Old Testament during during the time that Malachi was speaking to them, and before that, God had given them, his people, specific instructions through the law of Moses, through the Old Covenant, right? And, And... and showed them how they were to come before them, how, how, or him, how they were to come before God and worship him. Um, and there are literally like hundreds of stipulations and, and statutes in this matter, so I'm not going to go through all of those this morning, obviously. Um, but it does show us how impossible it is to measure up to God's holiness and, and, and to worship him perfectly on our own merit. We, we can't, we can't um, perform the law perfectly. Um, But in this specific passage this morning, I think Malachi's prophetic word here is most likely pertaining specifically to those one or two times a year when each household was given the opportunity to bring to the temple the first fruits of their harvest or their their best animal from among their livestock. And they would bring those things to the temple. And and from there, the priests in God's holy temple would would receive those offerings and those gifts and and those animals. And they would would sacrifice them and burn them at the altar accordingly as offerings to God. That was how they were to come and worship God. And according to one of my commentaries, these offerings and animal sacrifices to God were given to represent their love, their loyalty, their honor, and at times their sorrow for sin and wrongdoing. And it was also to acknowledge and thank God for his blessings, right? By giving back to God a portion 
the best portion of the blessings they'd receive from God. So it's acknowledging that God is the one who gave them these blessings, gave them these gifts. And so they're saying, and so they're giving back to God and saying, yeah, I continually trust you and I thank you and I acknowledge that you're the one that did this thing. So in other words, these were more than just religious requirements that they had to do. They, they were created and given to them by God so that they'd be able to seek repentance, first of all, but also so that they could respond to God, so they could respond to his grace and his love for them in worship and devotion. But as we mentioned last week, their love for God had gone stale. Right? They'd, be, they'd grown apathetic towards God's love. And as a result of that, their devotion had transformed into obligation. Their devotion had transformed into obligation. As David W. Baker states, when duty replaces devotion, however, human nature is such that it seeks minimum steps, barely enough to meet an obligation. This contrasts with a true love relationship seeking to do the maximum for the beloved. Israel, and in particular her priests, are seen here having lost their first love. So in other words, their worship to God had grown stale, just like their love. And it's this subject that Malachi addresses in the passage this morning. Malachi 1, verse 6 to 14. So this is God speaking through Malachi to the people of Israel, more, more specifically to the, to the priests on behalf of the people of Israel. And he says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a great king. Lord, you are the king of kings and lord of lords. And you are deserving of all 
the praise and all the glory, Lord God. And as we, as we discover that this morning, as we remind ourselves of that this morning, Lord, I pray that you would humble our hearts, that you would allow us to receive this difficult and often convicting word, Lord, that we would be able to turn away from whatever we're, we're, we're turned onto, Lord, and, and turn to you, and turn to you and you alone. God, we give you all the glory this morning. Open our hearts. Humble us this morning to receive your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know about you all, but for me, especially studying this throughout the week and and last week as well, this passage is a convicting reminder for me that God takes our worship seriously. God takes our worship seriously. And so before we go any further, I want to make a request to each one of you, including myself, that that we seriously and purposely open our hearts and our minds and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us this morning. Because I believe this passage is one that we all need to hear. This top, the topic of this passage is a reminder that we all need to hear. And I say that because there's a reason that God starts with this rebuke before all the other rebukes that we're going to hear against Israel. In Malachi, he starts with this rebuke, because what and who we worship, along with our attitude of worship, it affects pretty much everything else in our lives. It affects how we treat one another. It affects our attitude toward the church. It forms our priorities. It decides how we spend our time and how we spend our money. And it definitely affects how we view ourselves. So what we worship affects everything. And since we were created to worship, more specifically, we were created to worship God then nothing else and no one else will satisfy us. Right? It's only when our, when our full heart, when our full soul, when our full mind and strength is set on God that we'll actually be complete, that we'll actually be who we're created to be, and God wants that for us. And so if I may be so bold in saying this, I think that this is probably one of the most important topics that we'll, we'll go through this year. Maybe not the most important sermon you'll ever hear, the best sermon you'll ever hear. It's not about the sermon, the topic. This is one of the most important topics that we'll hear this year. How do we worship? Why do we worship? What's our attitude when we worship God? How many of us worshiped without abandon and with, with our full heart and with full conviction this morning during the worship set? Or when and if you gave an offering? How many worshipped with everything we are, with everything that we could give this morning? If you didn't, you know, why not? What's holding us back in our worship? Where the spirit, spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, right? Do we feel freedom when we come into the presence of God and worship him? Are we hesitating? Are we holding back? Because if, if we're not giving our all... We have to ask, what are we even giving and why? Are we just doing churchy things because we're, we're told to? Because we have to? Because the wife dragged us to come? Because that's just what we do every week? Or maybe because we think that, that, that God won't be angry with us if we do it? Or, 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 on, the, or on the flip side, that, that he'll be pleased with us as long as we just go through the motions of the worship service? 
Well, that's what the Israelites being addressed in the the passage this morning thought. They figured that God would be pleased with them and appeased with their offerings as long as they did just enough to look like they were meeting the requirements of the law. Right? They're just going through the motions of worship and the priests in the temple were allowing it and telling them that it was all good. But they didn't enjoy doing it. In fact, they forgot why they were doing it. And they were actually kind of even annoyed and actually despised the fact that they had to do it. Kind of like how I'm sure some of us felt as kids or as teenagers when when our our parents would make us put on our Sunday best and then they would drag us to church every week, right? It's like, I'd rather sleep in and, and play video games. I don't want to go to church. It's boring. Verse 13 it's exactly what they're saying. But, but you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it. That's what they were doing. When they came to the temple to give their, their offering, they're like, oh, what a weariness this is. Right? And when you snort at something, you're like, right? You, you despise it. You're like, oh, this is so stupid. And that's what they're doing, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring is your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? This reminds me of when I worked at McDonald's as a teenager. I could care less about that place, right? I didn't like working there. You know, I was happy to have a job. I didn't, know, I didn't know the verse about work is unto the Lord, so I didn't apply that. Um, I just did enough... To, and just did enough to appease the shift manager when I worked there, right? I did, I did the bare minimum so that I wouldn't get fired, so that I could collect my paycheck and spend it on, on, on guitar gear. I mean, say for college is what I actually meant. Um, I rarely went above and beyond because my heart wasn't in it, Right? I just met the required obligations of the job list, of the job description, while cutting a few corners where I could, as long as nobody noticed, right? And then, I, and then I went home as soon as I could punch my time card, you know, without getting in trouble. And this is what the Israelites are doing with their offerings and sacrifices at the temple. They were doing the bare minimum and sometimes trying to cut corners and doing less than the bare minimum. Instead of bringing God their first fruits and and their best animals to thank and honor God for giving it to them in the first place, instead they were bringing him their garbage. They were bringing God their leftovers. They were bringing God the weak and the blind and and, and the sick animals that were worthless and, 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 and useless to them. So like, oh, well, these animals are going to get killed on the altar anyway. Might as well just, you know, use them for that, right? Might as well just get rid of them because these things are worthless to us. And sometimes they even brought in animals that they had stolen or that they had taken from someone else in violence. And they're like, here, God, it's like your, your cat bringing you, it's, it's dead, a dead bird that it found, right? You're like, that's gross, right? That's what they're doing to God. But they forgot the most important thing. That God isn't appeased only by only the action of worship on its own. He cares about the heart and the attitude of the one who's worshiping. Not our stuff or our works. God doesn't need our stuff. Right? He created the earth and all that's in it. Right? 
God's stuff is already, or yeah, your stuff is already God's stuff. He doesn't need it. He owns it. It's already his. He doesn't need our money. God doesn't need us to sing to him. God doesn't need us to worship him. God doesn't need us to glorify him. God's already glorified. In fact, only a few generations earlier, God actually despised and rejected the offerings of his people, even though they were, they were done to the perfect requirement of the law. In, in Malachi here, they're, they're being so lazy that they're not even, you know, giving offerings up, up to the requirement of the law. But in Isaiah, in this Isaiah passage, they were. But yet he, does, but yet he rejects them. Listen to this, Isaiah 1, 11 to 13. God says to them, what makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord. I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lamb and goats. When you come to worship me, who asks you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. You know, they're being pious. They're celebrating. They look like they're worshiping with their full hearts. And these Sabbaths, the sacrifices of fasting, burnt offerings, these are all requirements of the law and how God told them they were, they were supposed to worship and, and him and obey him. But yet God rejected that even here. Why? Because it's not just about what we give. It's about how we give it. He doesn't delight in animals being slaughtered. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't delight in the sacrifice itself. God gave these statutes for them for the sake of the people so that they could find temporary atonement for their sin. So that they could actually, you know, at least once a year, enter into the presence of God you know, via the priest. What God delights in, though, is a pure heart. A pure heart. Psalm 51, 14 to 17. It says, Deliver me. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness. O God. O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. We need to understand that even the greatest thing, even the greatest thing we can give God is, is, is pittance compared to his glory. We put so much weight in, in the things that we give God. But those things are pittance compared to his glory. But he accepts what we give. He accepts our offerings and, and delights in our worship when it's given with a sincere, broken, and contrite heart. For example, even if you're the worst singer of all time, there's a few of you in here this morning. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
Um, even if you're the worst singer of all time, if you sing to him with your full heart set upon him, rejoicing in his grace and mercy and what he's done for you, then God will delight in that. And he will not despise it. Even over and above the one who sings perfectly but doesn't have a worshipful heart, God will desire your singing because it's how you're worshiping. It's your attitude of worship. And so this also reminds us as well that the way we worship often does correlate directly to the condition and motivation of our heart though, right? In other words, if we're giving our bare minimum in worship and we're bored of church, obviously our hearts aren't in in the right place. And certainly they're not focusing on the glory and presence of God. So verse 6 to 9, I'll read that again, and along with verse 14, this is what God's speaking to. The way they worship is representing their, their attitude. He says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So think of this. If the, if the, if the prime minister or, or Wayne Gretzky or or even your boss showed up at your door and was like, hey, I'm going to stay at your house for the weekend. Would you, would you serve them pizza pops for, for supper and breakfast? Um, or would you, you know, maybe the leftover casserole that's been in your fridge for, for about a week, you know, would you serve them that, right? Or would you make them sleep in the laundry room and only go down and talk to them for, for a couple minutes when you, when you felt like it, right? Some people are like, yeah, I would. But, you know, most people... If you, you know, respected people, you wouldn't, (laughs) right? Absolutely not, you wouldn't. So God asks, if we respect those in earthly authority, why don't we respect him? If he's our perfect father in heaven, why don't we honor him like a father with love and obedience and honor? And if he's our Lord and master, why don't we treat him as such? That is with, with fear, with awe and respect and obedience. And if we wouldn't give or, or even get away with giving to, to those in authority or in government or minimum or less than our minimum... Right? Try not paying your taxes. You won't get away with that, right? And why do we think God would be pleased or happy with our bare minimum? He deserves more than, than everyone, anyone else, right? 
But it seems we're more than willing to give to others and give to ourselves over and above him. And then we just give God, God what's left, if there's anything left. And so when we do that, are we not just presuming of his love and grace for us? Are we not actually dishonoring him? So, of course, our actions and the way we worship and how much we give in, in worship can often clearly reveal that our heart isn't in it. We're just going through the motions. We're just checking off those religious requirements, you know, checking them off our list. Or, or maybe we're, you know, we're doing it because we like, like to hear the music and, and we like feeling all emotional. Or maybe we're just trying to, trying to do it so that we look pious to impress ourselves, to make ourselves feel good or to impress others. Or maybe we're, we're just doing it, uh, just going through the motions to try to deceive God into, into making him think that we're actually worshiping him. God can't be deceived, right? He knows our hearts. He knows our hearts. So let me ask this again. When we sing during worship, are we just singing the words because that's what the service order calls for? Or are we singing without abandon because we love Jesus? Do we even look forward to coming to church? Or worship nights? Or do we just go begrudgingly? Or do, or do we just make excuses to skip out? And on that, that end, is, is worshiping God even a priority for us? Or, or have we put other things like, like work? Or, or cleaning the house? Or video games? Or sports? Or hobbies? Or partying? Whatever it is. Have we put all these things before our desire to worship God? And I'm asking these things not to make us feel guilty. It might bring conviction, sure. I'm not asking these things to, to make us feel guilty, but because I think we have an opportunity this morning to examine ourselves. And I think we should definitely take advantage of that. In the days of the Old Testament, most of the times the words of the prophets were ignored and they were mocked, and they were pushed aside, they were laughed at. Sometimes they killed the prophets. Very rarely did a prophet speak and, and then people repented. Let's not make that mistake. Let's not harden our hearts this morning as we hear God's words. Let's not ignore the words of Malachi this morning. Let's take this seriously. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to change us. And let's seriously ask ourselves, are we giving our all? Or are we giving our leftovers? And I think what we often forget, which, which sometimes causes us to get bored of worship or to push aside church or, or God for whatever reason, is we forget that worship is actually given to God for us, given by God for us. He invented worship for us, right? It's for the glory of God, yes. But it's also for our benefit. It's an opportunity for us to come to God and to turn to God, to experience his presence. It's an opportunity for us to joyfully and thankfully proclaim his name and our love and devotion to the one that loved us first. It's an opportunity to cast our reliance and our cares and our burdens upon him. It's an opportunity to repent. It's an opportunity to proclaim his goodness and his gospel to the world. 
That's the difference between worshiping God versus worshiping every other false god or idol out there, right? And every other religion, including, including atheism, you can branch that one in because everybody worships something, right? Worship is performed in order to, to appease the gods and the idols, and, it's, and, and you do that for selfish gain so that you can gain favor, right? Or so you can get something to earn something. You have to impress the gods to, to get something from them. But not with our God. Not with the one true God. God already loves us. And God has loved us and blesses us and gained favor for us by sending Jesus Christ to pay the price for us. So for Christians, worship is a natural and desired response to what God has already given us. It's not a means to obtain it. When we worship... When we worship, we're reciprocating honor and devotion within our covenant relationship with God. But when we turn it into this religious duty or a, or a moral obligation, like it's some stupid chore that we have to do, or some boring and menial thing we need to check off our piety list, then it becomes not only worthless and a begrudging routine for us where we'll hardly want to or desire to give our best, but most importantly, it, it actually becomes worthless to God. Lackadaisical worship is worthless to us and to God. It's pointless. It's lukewarm and it's disgusting. In fact, God would rather have the doors of the church be locked up than have a thousand people stroll through here and, and fake worship him as a form of religious duty or moral obligation. If you don't believe me, he said it himself. Verse 10, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. I have to be honest and say that I've spent a great deal this week you know, pondering and praying and repenting for many times I've sinned against God in this way. And I recognize that this is an unpopular message, which again is why chapter 1 of Malachi says this is an oracle of the, of the word of the Lord, a burden. Oracle means burden. It's a burden of the word of the Lord through Malachi. It's not an easy message to bring forth. But it's so important. It's so important that we hear it and that we receive it. I think it would be easier for Malachi back then and even myself for today to be like, oh, no, you know what? It's all good. God is always happy. He's always happy. And he's just good with whatever. He's so loving and he's so laid back. You know what? You guys, you guys could burp on the altar and, and spend your tithe on an Xbox, Xbox. And you know what? He'd love it. He'd just love it so much. He'd rejoice at its fragrance. Right? That'd be way easier for me to say that. But that's just not the case. The word of the Lord through Malachi reminds us of that here. And if you think, oh, this is just Old Testament stuff, then read the New Testament. Seriously. I hate when people say, oh, this is just Old Testament God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you don't read me, or if you don't believe me, then read 
read me, believe me, same thing. Then read the Gospels. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read Romans. Read Hebrews. Read the first couple chapters of Revelations. Read the infamous story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts. You'll find the same theme throughout. Perfect worship to God requires a pure heart and undivided devotion. And let's not forget, Jesus told his disciples that his people would worship him in spirit and in truth. And also that they would love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, with all that we are. Without holding back. And as we can clearly see in the passage this morning and throughout the entire Bible... God takes that seriously. But as we can also see, the people of Israel, like us, are incapable of giving God acceptable and pure worship on their own merit. They have a sin problem. They have a sin problem that needs to be dealt with before they can worship God with a pure heart. And so even as God says to Israel, even as he says to Israel, no, I will not receive your polluted offerings or your, or your putrid worship. He also says simultaneously, but even louder, yet I, God, will make a perfect offering on your behalf. So even as God says, no, I will not receive your polluted offerings or worship, he says simultaneously and louder, yet I will make a perfect offering on your behalf. Malachi 1.11, he says, just right in the middle of this whole thing, right? He says, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. It's not pure offerings, right? A pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. In every place, incense and a pure offering to his name. A pure and fragrant offering, so perfect, so eternal, that not only the Israelites, but all nations, all nations can bring it before God. A perfect sacrifice that will not only atone for all sin, but it will allow anyone who brings it to the altar to enter into the presence of God with a pure heart. And Hebrews 10 sums this, sums this perfect sacrifice up nicely, but I'll just read from a few verses. Hebrews 10, 1 to 3, and 11 to 14. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? 
But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly those same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Excuse me. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So if you didn't catch it, Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice and the pure offering given to us by God that atones for our sin once for all. Jesus Christ is that pure offering that solves our sin problem. Jesus' blood makes us acceptable to God and therefore makes our worship acceptable to God. On this subject, Bob Coughlin writes, Christ's work on the cross also assures us that our worship is acceptable to God. Try as hard as we can, our hearts and worship will always be tainted in God's sight. The ultimate factor of acceptable worship is faith in and union with Jesus Christ. Our spiritual sacrifices are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's not the excellence of our offering that makes our worship acceptable, but the excellence of Christ. God created a way through the blood of Christ to transform our polluted and pathetic offerings into fragrant ones. Offerings that God not only receives, but delights in. So covered in the righteousness of Christ, when we believe in his name by faith, with our hearts purified and made new, we don't have to be the best to come before the throne of God. Because Jesus was the best for us. So we don't have to be the best to come before the throne of God, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't still bring our best to him according to the grace that he's given us. Since Jesus humbled himself and gave it all for us, we should be more than willing to respond by giving our all to him. Our full heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything we are. To surrender all we are and all we have, our full devotion and trust. To worship with genuine and thankful hearts, with deep affection, with awe and adoration for his name. And again, if we've become bored or tired or critical of worship... That means we've lost sight of the cross and of Jesus. That means we've lost sight of the glory of God and, and faith and our faith in his unwavering and deep love for us. And so we need to return. We need to find again our first love. Because the only natural, acceptable, and possible response to witnessing and receiving God's love through Jesus Christ is to worship and honor God.